Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Attorney General just weighed in on the chances of former President Trump being charged with a crime. The lead starts right now. Attorney General Merrick Garland vowing today to prosecute anyone who tried to interfere with the transfer of power. Anyone. So how far up will the Justice Department go? Might that include Donald Trump? Also ahead, monkeypox cases surging as the White House considers upgrading the virus to a public health emergency. What's behind the failure so far to contain this virus? Plus, WNBA star Brittany Griner is set to take the stand in Russia, while the family of another American, also held by the Kremlin, also on drug charges, calls for more attention to his case. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start today with our politics lead and Attorney General Merrick Garland saying just moments ago that the Justice Department will not hesitate to hold Donald Trump accountable for the events around January 6th, even if Trump is the Republican nominee for president, if that's where the evidence leads them. Listen to what else Attorney General Garland just told NBC's Lester Holt. We pursue justice without fear or favor. We intend to hold everyone, anyone who was criminally responsible for events surrounding January 6th or any attempt to interfere with the lawful transfer of power from one administration to another accountable. That's what we do. We don't pay any attention to other uh, issues with respect to that. So if Donald Trump were to become a candidate for president again, that would not change your schedule or or how you move forward or don't move forward? Uh, Say again that uh, we will hold accountable anyone who was criminally responsible for attempting to interfere with the transfer, legitimate lawful transfer of power from one administration to the next. This comes as the New York Times is now reporting on new emails discovered among Trump campaign aides that provide even more insight into their scheme to overturn the election. The emails show aides using the term fake to describe the so-called electors they would send to Congress to provide a way to overturn the election. The Times citing this email exchange in particular that reads, quote, We would just be sending in fake electoral votes to Pence so that someone in Congress can make an objection when they start counting votes and start arguing that the fake votes should be counted. Now, that email is from December 2020 from an Arizona lawyer to Trump advisor Boris Epstein. In a follow-up email, the attorney wrote, alternative votes is probably a better term than fake votes, which was followed by a smiley face emoji. Now, the January 6th committee is considering holding more hearings in September as they gather even more evidence of the efforts behind the insurrection and attempts to overturn the election. But how much have their presentations so far changed American thinking on the insurrection? In just moments, we'll have some brand new polling on just that. But we're going to start today on Capitol Hill with CNN's Ryan Nobles, because Garland's comments today come with the background of the Justice Department's investigation into the White House picking up its pace. 
It's the first sign the Justice Department is reaching inside the Trump White House and the most aggressive public step taken by prosecutors looking at January 6th. Obviously, we have two different interests. Ours is to get to the bottom of what happened, put out recommendations, the Department of Justice is to look at any possible criminality. If they are moving forward on, on looking at this stuff, that's I think that's very positive for the country. Two high-profile members of the Trump White House, Mark Short and Greg Jacob, both reportedly appearing in front of a federal grand jury, testifying as part of a criminal investigation that has expanded to examine attempts to prevent the certification of the 2020 election. I can confirm that I did receive a subpoena for the federal grand jury, and I complied with that subpoena, but under advice of counsel, I really can't say much more than that. Short was Mike Pence's chief of staff. Jacob, his chief counsel. Both were key witnesses to the House January 6th Select Committee, with Jacob testifying publicly about the pressure campaign on Pence in the buildup to the Capitol riot. Mr. Eastman was opining that there were two legally viable arguments um, as to authorities that the vice president could exercise two days later on January 6th. The expansion of the DOJ probe comes as there are more signs the House Select Committee is not slowing down. They promised to bring in members of the Trump cabinet and campaign, while at the same time taking a hard look at the role of Secret Service and their missing text messages. I don't really buy that for one minute. Um, for one thing, isn't it a little odd that all of the texts would vanish for January 6th and January 5th? You know, of, of all the days, what an odd coincidence that is. That probe is now complicated by new questions raised about the Homeland Security Inspector General, who first raised concerns about the deleted texts. The House Oversight and Homeland Security Committees sending Joseph Kufari a letter asking him to recuse himself into any investigation related to the Secret Service and their text messages. We are writing to express our grave concerns with Inspector General Kufari's failure to promptly notify Congress of crucial information while conducting an investigation of the Secret Service. The letter was written by Oversight Chair Carolyn Maloney and Homeland Security Chair Benny Thompson, who also chairs the January 6th committee. And while all this is taking place in Washington, in Georgia, the investigation into election interference is moving ahead at a rapid clip as well. The district attorney there making it clear that her interest in the fake elector plot goes beyond just calling these individuals as witnesses. They could potentially be targets. Some of them could testify in front of a grand jury in Georgia as soon as this week. Jake. All right, Ryan Nobles on Capitol Hill. Thanks so much. Let's bring in CNN political director David Chalian, who has our brand new polls on January 6th. David, have the committee's hearings, and I think there have been eight so far, have they changed how the public views the Capitol insurrection in any way? Jake, this brand new CNN poll conducted by SSRS was taken entirely after the committee wrapped that primetime hearing last Thursday, this summer series of hearings. And the answer to your question is not much has changed, a little bit at the margins. We asked, you know, do you see that the Capitol riot on January 6th represents a crisis, a major problem, a minor problem, or not a problem at all? We asked that in January and February, Jake. You see very little movement here. 27% now say it's a crisis. 42% call it a major problem, a little uptick from January. Minor problem, 19% about the same. Not a problem at all, uh, 13%. And then look over time, over the trend here by party, okay? These are people that call it a crisis or a major problem. 96% of Democrats say so. Back in January, that was 91%. Little uptick. Independents, you see a slight uptick from 63% in January. Now 71% of independents call the attack 
major or uh, major problem or a crisis. But look at this, Jake. Among Republicans, it's a slight decrease. 43% in January saw it as a crisis or a major problem. Now that's only 36% of Republicans. David, what did voters have to say about Donald Trump's actions or lack thereof on and around January 6th? Yeah, when we talk about voters overall versus Republicans, that's going to be key uh, to look at in these results. So overall, 45% of Americans say Trump acted illegally. 34% say unethically, but not illegally. 21% did nothing wrong. Compare that with Republicans. Only 10% of Republicans say illegally is how Trump acted. 45% say unethically, but not illegally. So add that up. A majority of Republicans do think Trump acted at least unethically. And then look here. 45% of Republicans say that Donald Trump uh, did nothing wrong. Did his statements leading up to the six encourage political violence? Overall, 61% of Americans say yes. Only 20% of Republicans say yes. 39% say no. 79%, eight in 10 Republicans say no, his statements did not lead uh, to political violence. And then we asked this question about Trump and Pence, both in Washington today, Jake. Who did more to act in the best interest of the United States on January 6th? 67% of Americans say Mike Pence acted in the best interest of the country, 32% Donald Trump. But among Republicans, look at this, a slim majority, 52%, say Donald Trump acted in the best interest of the country, 46% say that of Mike Pence. It's just astounding. David, what are voters saying about elections moving forward? So we asked, you know, how accepting should the Republican Party be of candidates who think the 2020 election was stolen? This is just among Republican and Republican-leaning independents. 72%, nearly three quarters of Republican and Republican leaders say the party should be very or somewhat accepting of candidates who say the 2020 election was stolen. As you know, it was not. 28% say not at all. And then this key question looking at 2024. Again, this is among Republican and Republican leaders. Who should the GOP nominate for president? 44% of Republicans say Donald Trump. 55%, a majority of Republicans here say it should be someone else. That is a slight diminishment of standing for Donald Trump among Republicans since January, but still 44% of Republicans would like to see Trump renominated. All right, David Chalian, thanks so much. Appreciate it. I want to bring in Democratic Congresswoman Barbara Lee of California. Congresswoman, let's start with your reaction to some of those numbers we just heard from the, the new CNN poll. After eight public hearings this year, the American public's views on the Capitol riot and the threat it posed to democracy are essentially unchanged. Why do you think that is? Do you think the committee has miscalculated how much the American people care about this or have open minds about it? I don't think so. I think the uh, committee, and thanks for having me, uh, Jake, I, I think the committee has done a phenomenal job in putting forth the facts and the truth. This was a violent attempted coup. It was an attempted coup to violently overthrow the government of America, the United States government. This is a very serious threat to our democracy. And in fact, the committee has put forth the facts. And what concerns me about these numbers is the the understanding that our democracy is fragile. And I'm wondering and questioning how, how people at this point believe and understand what it means to have a democracy versus an autocracy. And so I think that the committee is moving forth with the facts in a, in a way that everyone at least knows what happened. And now whether or not people understand that and vote accordingly is the question. 
But it, it is a very, to me, uh, dangerous moment for people to accept the fact that the United States can uh, form a uh, violent attempt to overthrow the government and allow people to get away from that. No one is above the law. So you saw in the poll results that a majority of the American people feel the way that you do in terms of how serious this was. Uh, a majority of Democrats feel that way. A majority of independents do. Uh, what's astounding is the, the percentages of Republicans who either think that what happened on January 6th was no big deal or actually a, a slim majority of Republicans asked uh, between Pence and Trump who acted in the best interests of the United States on January 6th. Most Republicans said Trump did. Uh, to, to, why do you think this is? Well, I think the big lie uh, has taken hold with a lot of uh, people in the Republican Party. Uh, and it really is concerning because when you have people believing a lie uh, and believing one uh, autocratic leader, uh, a cult-like mentality sets in. And so I believe that uh, in many respects, what we're seeing is, is a buy-in intellectually and emotionally of a, of a lie that is uh, very dangerous. And so if people don't understand that this almost um, was a uh, coup and it almost uh, destroyed our democracy, then I'm not clear on what they believe uh, this country should be about and do they really accept uh, a dictatorship or an autocracy. And so I think a lot of education has to happen. I think people need to understand. And I think the hearings are really showing what the facts are and what took place. But I don't think what the numbers you showed in terms of the Republicans, they really believe that this was a threat to our democracy. Or if they do believe it, does it matter to them? <laughs> really? yeah. And that's the question I have. Does it matter? You just uh, heard uh, Attorney General Garland in an interview with Lester Holt uh, suggest uh, that he wouldn't hesitate to prosecute anyone, including Donald Trump, if that's where the evidence leads. Uh, do you believe him? I believe him. Let me tell you, uh, no one is above the law. Uh, you know, we have a, a state of lawlessness in many respects. Look at Steve Bannon. Look at what people are doing, just just uh, turning their head to, to what the laws of the land are. Uh, that creates anarchy. What do our young people think when criminals get away with committing crimes and not being held accountable? This is something that I hope the Justice Department continues to move forward with. Uh, I think that, the, that our attorney general is serious. And I think that what the committee is producing, the facts, uh, will help formulate the case to move forward to really uh, bring criminal charges against these criminals, because that is what they are. They attempted a violent coup. Uh, come on. This is a, a very serious crime. Democratic Congresswoman Barbara Lee, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Coming up, how the aftermath of the Capitol riots is now putting the political career of a Republican congressman in jeopardy more than a year and a half later. And Democrats might be on the wrong side of that one. But first, two alarming health crises for the White House as the administration weighs new COVID vaccines and the next steps to getting rising cases of monkeypox under control. Stay with us. In our health lead, can you wear a COVID vaccine patch? Could you inhale a COVID vaccine? That's what doctors discussed today at the White House COVID Vaccine Summit, a group of scientists gathering to figure out what the future of vaccinations might look like. This comes as the White House is tackling a different health crisis, monkeypox. CNN's MJ Lee is at the White House, where the Biden administration is considering naming 
a monkeypox coordinator. MJ, do they have someone specific in mind? They don't yet. There's certainly not been a decision or an announcement, but it does speak to uh, the seriousness of the outbreak as the White House is continuing to monitor the situation that they are considering naming someone to that position. Uh, this is somebody who would obviously oversee and sort of direct the federal government's response to the outbreak. Not so different from the White House COVID coordinator, whose job, of course, uh, is to make sure that the government is working together to respond to COVID uh, across the country. Uh, now, the actions that the administration has actually already taken on monkeypox, they in many ways mirror the actions that we have seen as the government has responded to COVID uh, from everything like vaccines, making sure that they are being manufactured and uh, distributed to the people that need them, uh, treatments, making sure that those are readily available, ramping up testing. Uh, and then there's also the public education side of things, Jake, and a big part of the concern and what the White House and the administration wants to accomplish is making sure that they are uh, preventing uh, any kind of sort of homophobic or transphobic backlash, given that the majority of the cases that have uh, been seen in the U.S., they are being uh, seen among men who have sex with other men. So this is a very important part of the outreach and the public education that the administration is doing right now. And MJ, the White House uh, hosted that summit today on vaccines. Tell us more about what they had to say about the future of vaccines. Yeah, you know, this is just one more sign that there is uh, this growing acceptance that COVID is basically here to say this was a meeting stay. Uh, this was a meeting that uh, was uh, attended by pharmaceutical executives, uh, members of the administration, scientists, and they were basically just sitting around for a number of hours to discuss the development of COVID vaccines uh, going forward. And particularly given that we know that this is going to be something that is continually uh, evolving. Now, one challenge that the White House is talked about a lot is the fact that Congress has not uh, authorized additional funding and they have said that they've actually had to start pulling funding from other areas to make sure that the important uh, work can continue. Uh, obviously, the context, of course, right now is that the president is recovering from COVID. He has finished his full course of Paxlovid. Jake. All right, MJ Lee, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Let's talk to Dr. Megan Rani now. She's a professor of emergency medicine and is the Associate Dean of Public Health at Brown University. Uh, and she joins us in the studio because she attended this vaccine summit at the White House. So we have that uh, opportunity today. So you were at the summit uh, today at the White House. Doctors spending most of the day discussing the next generation of COVID vaccines. We are, of course, seeing uh, this drastic rise in hospitalizations uh, across the country since April 1st because of COVID. Um, do you think the day could have been better spent discussing how to address the current spike that we're in? I mean, if you would call that a spike? I mean, I think we know how to address the spike of the surge of cases that we're clearly in the midst of right now. The thing about the vaccines that we have is that they are holding hospitalizations and deaths down. If we were having the number of cases that we're experiencing right now and we didn't have the current vaccines or boosters, or if we didn't have Paxlovid, we would be in a situation like what we had last year or worse yet in 2020 pre-vaccines. So this discussion, though, is critical because the worry is, is that these variants are going to keep changing and that we will get back to that bad space. We have to think ahead so that we don't get caught flat-footed when the next variant comes. So we've heard authorization of second booster for all adults being discussed. I had my second booster. I'm over 50, though. But now we're talking about whether everybody who's over 18 should get one. Uh, at the same time, we're also working to have the next generation vaccines for these new variants for the fall. Do you think the strategy should be boosting now with the original vaccine or wait to boost with the next generation vaccine? 
So for anyone who is over age 50 or has high-risk conditions, they should get boosted now with the current version of vaccine. We know that that second booster makes such a difference in hospitalization and death rates for those folks who are higher risk. But for people who are under age 50, who don't have diabetes or cancer or other chronic conditions, waiting is fine because those first two shots plus the one booster is holding off hospitalizations for folks of my age group. I'm a little under 50. So for us, we can wait until we get that new bivalent or Omicron-specific vaccine, which we're already expecting to see. So over 50, go get it now. Mm-hmm. Under 50, wait for the, wait for the, the new one. Um, new data from Kaiser uh, shows 43% of parents with kids under the age of six say they're not going to get their kids vaccinated. That's a huge, huge percentage, 43%, significantly higher than parents who said the same thing just three months ago. Um, what's going on here? So I think this is a great example of the harm caused by misinformation. We have a lot of parents of young kids who are confused, both about how dangerous COVID is to kids. And let me be clear, COVID was among the top 10 killers of kids of all age groups, one and up, prior to vaccines, and are confused about the safety of the vaccine. The data on the safety of these mRNA vaccines is stellar. And so they're miscalculating that risk versus benefit. Now, you and I are both parents. We, of course, thought carefully before getting our kids those vaccines. The parents that are saying they're hesitating are also thinking carefully, but unfortunately are listening to the wrong sources when making that decision. My kids are vaxxed and boosted, mm-hmm. uh, just to note. Um, let's turn to monkeypox. You heard MJ talking about the, the line that the administration and public health officials are walking here because this is a disease uh, that the majority of people who have it in this country are, are men who have sex with other men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet at the same time, uh, there is a desire to not demonize uh, the gay community or the trans community. Um, what might, uh, what, I don't wanna, what might the sensitivity mm-hmm. um, be holding people back from doing? I mean, in other words, uh, I remember, I'm old enough to remember the AIDS crisis, the HIV crisis, when authorities in San Francisco, for example, got demonized for, for shutting down bathhouses, if I'm remembering that mm-hmm. correctly. Uh, because uh, the gay community thought that they were being unfairly stigmaed. Um, how does this rear itself? How, did this, how does this rear its head? So I think there's a couple of parts. One is, is that if we think of this as a quote-unquote gay disease or something that only men who have sex with men get, it stops us from mounting the type of national or international response that we really need to get this under control. Right, now that's obviously, right. that's a majority of people, but it's not the entirety no, of it, obviously. Exactly, and that was one of our issues with HIV and AIDS, was that folks said, oh, it's a segment of the population failing to see, first of all, it's all of us, second of all, segmenting the population is inaccurate, doesn't work, it's a huge part of kind of who we are, et cetera. But the other part is, is that let's be clear on how this is spread. It's skin-to-skin context. It is not a sexually transmitted disease. We're already seeing cases in kids, as you've mentioned. And as community spread continues, we are bound to see more cases outside of the community of men who have sex with men. If we stigmatize that community, they're not going to get tested. They're not going to show up for treatment. They're not going to show up for vaccines. And they're not going to collaborate with the rest of the public health infrastructure in order to stop the spread of this disease, which is what we so desperately need. But we've got to show up for them also with those doses of vaccine and the easy testing. Well, that's the thing. I've heard uh, from members of the gay community who uh, are extra sensitive and want to make sure that they don't get monkeypox because of uh, the disproportionate way that community is, is taking the hit on this. And they say that they're, it's, tr- it's tough getting uh, the vaccine for it. Do you think the Biden administration is doing everything it can do? 
So I think that if they name a monkeypox coordinator, they will then be doing everything that they can do. I think that what we've seen over the last two months is honestly a little bit of a debacle. But what it comes from is the fact that you have a whole bunch of different agencies that are all trying to run this. No one person taking charge and saying, it's time to get vaccines. It's time to release the vaccines from Denmark and get them here. It's time to roll out testing and to make it really easy for clinicians to get it. So I think having a single person at the helm of all of that would be ideal. Whether it's in the White House or the CDC doesn't matter, but there needs to be someone who's driving the response. All right, Dr. Megan Rennie, thanks so much. Good to see you in person. Appreciate it. Basketball star Brittany Griner is set to testify in a Russian courtroom tomorrow. The defense that the WNBA star might give, that's next. Topping our worldly detained, WNBA player Brittany Griner is set to testify tomorrow in a Moscow court. It's been another intense week for the 31-year-old Olympian who has pleaded guilty to bringing cannabis oil into Russia. Today's trial session featured a drug expert brought in by Griner's attorneys to present the case that Griner used the oil for medical purposes, a common practice among athletes. Griner's lawyers say she did not purposefully bring the drugs to Russia and accidentally put the oil in her suitcase when she packed in a hurry. She faces up to 10 years in a Russian prison. While Griner's trial has caught the world's attention, she is not the only American detained in Russia on cannabis charges. Mark Fogel has been held by a Russian court for the better part of a year and was just sentenced to 14 years in a Russian prison. His family says he used medical cannabis to treat chronic back pain. CNN's Kylie Atwood reports on the American teacher's lesser-known case as the Russia-U.S. relationship gets icier by the day. You're watching the last moment of freedom for Mark Fogel, an American teacher heading back to Moscow last August for his 10th year teaching the children of U.S. diplomats, airport personnel going through his bags, just minutes before he was detained for carrying cannabis into the country. His sister says no one in his family has heard his voice since. All they have are letters written in Russian. He says what he wants in English. Someone translates for him, one of his cellmates. And um, depending on how good their English is, is how accurate of a picture we get of what is happening. It's very convoluted. uh, And it's incredibly worrisome because we can't really have... There is no honest conversation. Everything goes through the censors. It's... um, It's harrowing. Fogel was convicted of smuggling drugs into Russia and last month sentenced to 14 years in prison in a high-security penal colony. His family and lawyers have said he was carrying cannabis for medical reasons, treating chronic back pain. He made a, a terrible mistake by taking medical marijuana into Russia, but 14 years in a hard labor camp um, is essentially a death sentence for him. He's 61 years old and he has a very long history of uh, spinal injury. The circumstances of his detention have some similarities to the arrest of WNBA star Brittany Griner. But Griner was declared wrongfully detained by the State Department less than three months after her arrest. Fogel's family is still waiting. He is wrongfully detained. There's no question about it. This is an outrageous, outrageous sentence. As we learn more about the circumstances of detention, the charges, 
uh, fair trial guarantees, due process, or lack thereof, uh, we are always weighing those developments against the criteria uh, to determine whether an American is uh, wrongfully held or not. While Fogel was carrying about 20 grams of cannabis, much more than Griner, his American lawyer says that his sentence cannot be explained without there being a political motive. This is a person who has served the American diplomatic um, community in schools all over the world for well over the majority of his career. I need my president and my first lady to stand up for him. He needs to come home. Now, the importance here of deeming him wrongfully detained would mean that that would then launch the Biden administration, the State Department, to engage in efforts, negotiations with the Russians to get him home as quickly as possible. And Jake, we should note that this week is Mark Fogel's birthday. And so it's an incredibly emotional week for his family as he has to celebrate that birthday for the first time in a Russian prison. Jake. All right. Kylie Atwood at the State Department for us. Thank you so much. As the Kremlin holds these Americans overseas, Russia is also bombing Ukraine, going after its southern coast. And CNN is in the region. Coming up, see how Ukrainians are trying to fight back with the help of U.S. military equipment. Ukraine's south is lighting up. Russia just bombed another key port on the Black Sea, this time in Mykolaiv, east of Saturday's strike on Odessa. The attack started just after Russia signed a deal promising to allow Ukrainian ships at those ports to transport grain safely. Now Ukraine and Russia are bracing for a massive land fight as Russia gears up to deploy more troops to the cities at once easily occupied. CNN's Ivan Watson has been traveling the southern front for weeks. He has this exclusive report for us. Scenes from Ukraine's southern front during the first months of the war. Footage shared exclusively with CNN shows Ukrainian senior lieutenant Andriy Pidlisny hiding in shell craters, flying a drone to call in artillery strikes on Russian positions. But the team of spotters also narrowly escapes long-range fire from the Russian military. Months after filming these videos, Pidlisny is still fighting on the southern front. Were the Russians in this village before? Yeah. The Ukrainian military is fighting to claw back territory. It's, it's very slowly process to uh, take back all our territories, but step by step, and with the help of Western guns, vehicles, and so on, uh, artillery systems, we do that. This month, my team and I traveled the length of the southern front from the critical port of Odessa to the edge of the Donbass region. I spoke to people willing to risk their lives against the Russian war machine. In the city of Kribiri, Ukrainian forces storm a building. It's actually a training exercise to prepare these men for one of the most dangerous forms of modern warfare, urban combat. The commander here was gravely wounded, pushing Russian-backed separatists out of cities in the eastern Donbass region in 2014. We have a duty to liberate our territories, he says. This is our land, and we will not give it to anyone. That confidence shared by a regiment of frontline troops in eastern Ukraine. They show off recently arrived British-made Land Rovers and this armored personnel carrier. I just noticed something. 
Take a look over here at this tire. Made in Russia. This was Russian. It was Russian uh, car, but uh, our soldiers uh, fight uh, him and uh, take this car to us. You captured it. Us. But the war is taking a dreadful toll here. Day and night, Russian rockets, S-300 surface-to-air missiles repurposed to strike ground targets, pound the frontline city of Mykolaiv. And more appear to be on the way. Ukrainian resistance groups shared this exclusive footage with CNN taken just days ago, showing the arrival of a train full of missiles in the occupied southern Kherson region, later confirmed by these satellite images provided to CNN by Maxar. But with the help of U.S. long-range rockets known as HIMARS, Ukraine has been targeting Russian ammunition depots. Senior Lieutenant Pidlisny says he noticed a difference on the front lines. We had about two, three weeks when they haven't enough uh, ammunition to fight us. Still, he predicts it will take a long time for Ukraine to win the war in the south. Uh, I'm not sure that we will uh, win till the end of this year, uh, maybe till the end of next year. Jake, part of the Ukrainian strategy is also to target Russian supply lines. So they've been using the long-range rockets to hit bridges that the Russians rely on to get from Russian-controlled Crimea to these southern regions in the south of Ukraine that they've more recently occupied. Three of those bridges have been hit by these rockets in the last couple of weeks. All of this intended to try to make it harder for the Russians to reinforce and resupply their occupation forces. Jake. All right, Ivan Watson in Ukraine for us. Thank you so much. Coming up next, he was one of only 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach President Trump. And now that vote could put his job in jeopardy, and Democrats are piling on, backing his opponent. Stay with us. And our politics lead, will a vote to impeach Donald Trump cost another Republican his job? Congressman Peter Meyer currently represents Michigan's 3rd District. He's an Army veteran of the war in Iraq and was one of 10 Republicans who supported impeachment after January 6th. Now, Meyer's primary challenger is a man named John Gibbs, who has Trump's backing. But Meyer's also up against Democrats, who, despite all their talk about democracy in peril, are actually boosting Gibbs, the MAGA candidate in the primary, because they think Gibbs would be easier for their Democratic candidate to defeat in November. Democrats playing with anti-democracy fire for crash, cynical political objectives. CNN's Manu Raju takes a closer look at the race. Three days into Congressman Peter Meyer's freshman term, pro-Trump rioters attacked the Capitol. A week after that, he voted with just nine other alarmed Republicans to impeach Donald Trump over his role. Now he could lose his job because of that vote. Was that a concern of yours that you got defined by this? Yeah, I think you always have a moment where you say, um, I can take the easy way or I can actually follow where my conscience is. If your one, number one job in office is to stay in office, you should find another job. You don't regret that vote? Not for a second. Despite hailing from a storied Michigan family and maintaining a conservative voting record, Republicans see Meyer as the clear underdog in next Tuesday's primary. Oh yeah, I think it was the biggest career-ending move in history possibly. 
for him to do that. John Gibbs, a former Trump administration housing official who has a former president's backing, is embracing false election claims. Do you think the election was stolen? I do think there's enough shenanigans to change the result, yeah. So what do you say to folks who say that kind of rhetoric is dangerous? Um, don't blame messenger. There was never, it was never proven. There was never widespread fraud. What do you say to the fact that that never really materialized? Um, I think one analogy that you could look at here is the mafia. Uh, for many years, you can never arrest them. You know, they're throwing guys off roofs and stuff. But I think we will get there just like we did with the mafia. It's that kind of rhetoric that has Democrats hoping to face Gibbs in November, with the House Democrats' campaign arm propping him up with this ad. Handpicked by Trump to run for Congress, Gibbs called Trump the greatest president. Part of a national strategy to boost far-right Republicans in primaries, even as they call them a threat to democracy. I think that Gibbs has certainly fired up a certain portion of uh, the electorate over those claims, and I think it's, it's dangerous. Democrats could flip the seat with a boost from redistricting. This district is so winnable. We can do it this, this time. Moving the district nearly 12 points in the Democrats' direction. But Democrat Hillary Scolton will first have to overcome President Biden's sagging approval and concerns over inflation. Is the president helping or hurting you in this race? You know, president isn't in this race. Yet both Biden and his predecessor loom large. John Gibbs. Like the former president, Gibbs downplays the January 6th attack by the Trump-inspired mob. Trump supporters, do you blame them? You know, who are there? Were they the ones who came into the Capitol? Uh, I don't know, but from what I understand and the pictures that I've seen, the vast, vast majority of people there were just standing around and, and holding flags and things like that. So those people obviously didn't do anything wrong. Myers, though, lived through the deadly riot of that day. For three hours, the president did nothing. And I think that was a, a shameful dereliction of duty. Now, another big issue in this race could be the issue of abortion, and that could be a matter that will be debated during a general election if Gibbs were to win. Gibbs told me that he does not support any exceptions for the issues of rape. If a woman is raped and has to carry the baby to term, he said that he's, it's, quote, really unfair to kill a baby over rape. He said, punish the rapist appropriately, but, quote, don't kill the baby. It's not their fault. Jake. All right, Manu Raju, thanks so much. Appreciate it. From all the flight cancellations and delays, many of you know very well, this summer, travel from hell. Two Democratic senators now say the Biden administration can track down, can crack down on it all. I'm going to talk to one of those senators about how to do it next. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. This hour, Donald Trump back in Washington, D.C. for the first time since he left office. Some say returning to the scene of the crime. His message just moments ago. While his number two, Mike Pence, also in D.C. today, says he wants to talk about the future, suggesting Trump is mired in the past. Plus, Russia shows once again it is operating in its own orbit, pledging to leave the International Space Station now and end a decades-long partnership that always found a way to rise above earthly conflict until... Now, and leading this hour, a new report shows Americans are less optimistic about the economy for the third month in a row. Confidence dropping to its lowest point in a year and a half. The viewpoint coming at a critical time with interest rates likely going up tomorrow and corporations raising red flags about rising prices and the chances the U.S. is headed towards a recession. Joining me now, CNN business correspondent Rahel Solomon. Rahel, tell us why this new consumer confidence number is so important. 
Well, Jake, consumer confidence tells us three things about the state of the consumer and the state of the American public, essentially how people are feeling about present conditions, how people are feeling uh, about conditions six months into the future, so short-term outlook, and also how that might impact their purchasing decisions. So the headline number came in at about 95.7. To put that in context, Jake, 100 is considered good. So we're uh, sort of below that. But what matters more is sort of directionally where the number is going and where it has been. And this is the third consecutive month of declines. So to put it simply, outlook is worsening. The chief economist of KPMG, Diane Swank, telling me just about 30 minutes ago that what's so stunning and the deterioration of consumer confidence is it's not just inflation. It's also reflecting less robust labor market conditions, which is not bad yet, but brings us closer to a recession. Rahel, today Walmart warned that it is not going to make the profit it expected because customers just are not buying as much with higher prices. But Walmart does expect more customers in stores. Meanwhile, McDonald's says customers have mostly shrugged off the higher menu prices and its revenue has gone up. What's going on there? Well, Jake, both of those companies, Walmart and McDonald's, are facing higher costs, as is practically every company right now. The difference, however, is McDonald's has been able to pass on some of those higher costs. Walmart can't do that as much because Walmart's whole brand is centered around being a low-cost retailer. So it's having to eat some of those costs, and that's why it's warning about profit. But, Jake, one thing I should flag, you and I talked about this recently in terms of the retail sales data. Walmart warning that consumers are spending more of their income on essentials like fuel and food, and that's leaving less discretionary income for categories like apparel. The reason why that matters to a retailer like Walmart is because their margins, their profits are higher on categories like apparel. Their profits are lower on essential categories like food and fuel. So that's why we're seeing that profit warning. But Jake, it is yet another data point, yet another sort of warning now from corporate America that Americans are shifting where they're spending to essentials and less on discretionary items like apparel. We saw it in the retail sales data uh, last month as well when we were looking sort of at yearly trends. Rahel, the, the Fed meets tomorrow. They're expected to raise interest rates by three quarters of a point. Are there any signs that these rate hikes are working and that inflation is slowing at all? Well, we are seeing some prices come down, right, because we've seen some commodity prices come down. We've seen crude prices come down, and that has meant lower prices at the pump. That said, I I don't think the Fed would call this a victory just yet, right? Powell has made it very clear that he and the committee is looking for clear uh, and compelling evidence that inflation is coming down. And I don't think short of seeing month-to-month inflation lower, are they going to take their foot off the brake? So we're seeing some price pressures ease, but I don't think we're anywhere close to where the Fed would like us to be. All right, Rahel Solomon reporting for us from New York. Thanks so much. Uh, If you have traveled through an airport lately, chances are you caught a glimpse of how chaotic air travel has become, surging ticket prices, mounting cancellations, endless delays, all of them plaguing travelers. Democratic Senators Elizabeth Warren and Alex Padilla are currently demanding that federal regulators, specifically Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, do something about this. CNN's Matt Egan is live for us in New York. And Matt, what are the senators asking for? Well, Jake, uh, they want the Transportation Department to end this travel nightmare by cracking down on the airlines. They're calling for three things. One, imposing hefty fines on airlines when they cancel flights for reasons that are under their own control. Two, fine airlines when they intentionally overbook flights. And three, block anti-competitive mergers. Now, let me read you a key line from this letter. They wrote, quote, decades of deregulation and consolidation have created an airline industry that routinely heaps inconvenience 
and abuse on consumers. And the lawmakers point out that this travel chaos is occurring just two years after the airline industry was bailed out by taxpayers during the height of COVID. We should also point out that not only are delays and cancellations up, but it's getting more expensive to fly, even more expensive than pre-COVID. The latest government statistics show that it is 22% more expensive to get airfare than it was in June of 2019. And this spike in airfares contributing to the 40-year high of inflation that is casting a shadow over the American economy. Matt, why exactly are are things so rough when it comes to airline travel right now? And is there any end in sight? Jake, it really has been a mess. Yesterday alone, there was more than 1,300 flights canceled in the United States. Today, another 570 plus. There's been this perfect storm of factors. First, like many industries, airlines have a staffing shortage, including a shortage of pilots. And you can't fly the planes without the pilots. And that staffing shortage has left airlines ill-equipped to deal with bad weather. At the same time, demand has been really strong as Americans start to take vacations again after being cooped up in their homes for nearly two years during COVID. Now, the airline travel group, they responded to this letter by saying that they are doing everything that they can. They're making all the efforts that they can to keep up with what they described as, quote, an unexpectedly rapid rebound in demand for flights. Jake, this is just another example of how supply in today's economy is struggling to keep up with demand and how consumers are feeling the brunt of it. All right, Matt Egan, thanks so much. Joining us now live to discuss is Democratic Senator Alex Padilla of California. Senator, thanks for joining us. So you signed on to that letter with your colleague, Senator Warren. Here's a here's a horrifying quote from it. Quote, airlines have also increased flight overbookings causing passengers to be involuntarily denied boarding nearly three times as often as the first quarter of 2022 compared to the first quarter of 2018. Unions are sounding the alarm that airlines are selling tickets for flights they know they will not be able to staff, unquote. That's crazy. How soon do you think this can improve for consumers? Uh, Jake, well, I hope uh, it's uh, much sooner rather than later. You know, as we're talking about uh, what is within an airline's control, the weather isn't. We had a lot of flight delays yesterday, especially on the eastern seaboard because of weather. Uh, But if they're claiming that staffing shortages is a reason for these disruptions, these delays, these cancellations, why offer the flights to begin with and mislead consumers that they'll be able to either do that business travel or take that vacation they've been waiting uh, years for? That's a perfect example of the type of behavior we're trying to address. So I asked Secretary Buttigieg about this on State of the Union on Sunday, and he said that things have improved a lot since Memorial Day weekend when it got really ugly. Take a listen. You look at cancellation rates for the last couple of travel weekends, they've been around one and a half percent, which is getting closer to normal. It's, of course, never going to be zero uh, with weather and things like that, but it should never be as high as it was uh, during the Memorial Day travel weekend. And we're going to continue to push them and, of course, prepared to work collaboratively whenever there's a chance to uh, do things that smooth out operations in our national airspace. Are you satisfied with that answer? 
Uh, look, I, I think all the more reason to keep the pressure on. We look at the Memorial Day uh, travel numbers. We can look at the 4th of July travel numbers. We have Labor Day coming up soon. This is still summer, sort of the peak season for uh, vacation travelers before kids go back to school, including my own. Uh, and so we got to keep the pressure on. If the numbers are coming down, we've got to keep them moving in that direction. But just to, 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 to level set here, Jake, 122,000 flights canceled year to date. That's more than all of 2021 combined. So uh, again, we, we got to keep the pressure on. So just yes or no, is the Biden administration being tough enough on the airlines? Uh, well, I think they're taking action, which is good. And it's our job to remind them of other tools in their toolbox, including you know these fines. I don't think uh, compensation for travelers that are bumped from their flights or when flights are canceled should necessarily be negotiated on a case-by-case basis. Who's first to the customer service gate or who's first to call the 1-800 number? Uh, air passengers have rights, and that should be automatic when they're inconvenienced like that. All right, I'm going to take that as a no. Let me ask you, as we just reported, a new data point shows consumer confidence falling for the third month in a row. Now, there are steps that President Biden could take today to lower prices, such as getting rid of the Trump tariffs on China. But the president refuses to take these actions. Why not? So, uh, well, we're going to keep pressing the White House to do what they can. And we need to focus in Congress to do what we can. That's why I think we're on the verge of finally allowing Medicare to negotiate prescription uh, drug prices to bring those health care costs for working families across the country. Good news you covered a few minutes ago. Gas prices seem to be on the way down. But let's revisit child care costs and other significant costs that uh, working families are uh, having to deal with. You know, uh, we're debating inflation, the impacts. All I know is paychecks aren't going as, as far as they used to. And I say that not just as a senator, I say that as a, a father and a husband. So speaking of, of things, the, the, the dollar not being, stre- you know, the inability of individuals to stretch their dollars, the, the Fed is going to meet tomorrow uh, and will likely raise interest rates again. Uh, we learned today that overall home prices are up nearly 20 percent nationwide from just one years ago. One year ago, you know this because housing prices in California are already among the nation's highest so your constituents need bold action on all of these issues, inflation, right. housing prices, et cetera. At what point did Democratic officeholders start publicly demanding more from President Biden and his administration? Look, I think we're always going to be pressing the administration. We also need to ask more of the voters. Let's keep this in mind when we go vote in November. We know Democrats have a plan to bring down prescription drug prices. Uh, we know that we can uh, do a whole lot with uh, uh, by taxing the most wealthy and multinational corporations and reinvesting in our own economy, in our own workforce, including manufacturing. We're on the verge of passing that semiconductor uh, uh, competition bill uh, here in Congress. But we have plans that we're reducing child care, plans on reducing uh, cost of housing. And if Republicans aren't going to play ball with us and do what's right for working families, then let's keep that in mind when we go vote in November. So we've seen these record-breaking temperatures around the country in recent days, which are a real threat to workers exposed to this heat during the workday. You're pushing OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, to pass new protections for workers. It can take years for that agency to craft new rules. I'm not sure if we have the the film, uh, the, the video of you uh, working in the field, but I know you did that recently. Um, there it is. There's a picture of you. I think you're picking parsley in this, This is, uh, along with United Farm Workers of America. What pressure are you putting on OSHA uh, to craft new rules uh, and to do so quickly? 
or pressing OSHA to move as quickly as they possibly can in advancing legislation uh, to not give them a choice in moving faster. Look, I'm proud to come from California. We have adopted heat standards for workers, whether it's in agriculture, whether it's in construction, uh, whether it's uh, you know truck drivers or warehouse workers who are exposed to extreme heat. You know, nearly 400 workers have lost their lives in the last decade because of extreme heat. It's long uh, overdue to have a federal standard to save lives because guess what? You've been covering the news, the, the heat waves, not just in the United States, but uh, throughout Europe and beyond. Uh, it's Our planet's only getting hotter, which means workers that are exposed to extreme heat, uh, that, that dynamic, that challenge is only going to increase. Yeah, which you experienced firsthand, I see. Democratic Absolutely. Senator Alex Padilla of California, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Coming up next, Donald Trump's big return to Washington. His message as he toys with launching another bid for the White House. And as his former vice president, Mike Pence, makes a pitch of his own. But first, underwater. Record-breaking rainfall floods parts of the Midwest. The emergency situation there as fire rages further west. Stay with us. In our Earth Matters series, the latest sign of the serious impact of the climate crisis, record rainfall caused deadly and widespread flash flooding in and around St. Louis, Missouri today. More than eight inches of rain quickly inundated highways and roads, prompting rescue operations for those stranded in their cars and their homes. One person died in their submerged vehicle. An outdoor metro station looked more like a river with the platform and tracks underwater. The National Weather Service says on average, Rainfall such as this in the St. Louis area only happens once every 500 years. Scientists say the atmosphere can hold more moisture as temperatures rise, which leads to more rainfall. Meanwhile, some good news in California. Fire crews are making progress on containing the Oak Fire near Yosemite National Park. So far, that fire has burned more than 18,000 acres and destroyed at least 41 structures since it ignited on Friday. Let's bring in CNN's Adrian Broadus, who's near the fire in Mariposa County, California. Adrian What are the fire crews saying about the progress so far? Well, Jake, the crews have contained at least 26% of the Oak Fire. And Cal Fire officials who spoke with us say they are lucky. That's in part because there are no other major fires burning right now across the state of California, allowing them to dedicate numerous resources to the Oak Fire. This portion of Mariposa County is known for its beauty, but you can see clearly a big portion of this county has burned. A shell of a vehicle here at what was once a home. If you look over, you will see all that's left of the home. Pretty much rubble, still standing grilling equipment. And nearby in the front of the former house, you see some smoldering taking place here. But despite what you see right now, officials tell us they have made some progress. As I was driving to our live shot, I saw crews cutting down trees and I asked why they were performing that action. I was told they're cutting down those trees that already burned to prevent them from falling on the road. So some progress has been made, Jake, but there's still some work to do. And Adrian, how are crews navigating the steep terrain and, and the dry conditions there? You know, they're fighting this fire from above. At least 24 helicopters are dumping water on the burning areas. And I'm told the weather, the dryness of it, and the topography have really fueled the Oak Fire. Listen in. 
California is huge. The, the, the footprint out here, the acreage of available fuels to burn when a fire gets going, along with the available topography, the canyons, the drainages, the, the wind that, that flows through these areas can make the fire behavior erratic, and it can explode, basically, literally explode that fire, and, and the, the speed and the, uh, the ferociousness of that fire at times can be intense. So again, Jake, at least 18,000 acres have been burned and fire crews are still working from this county and beyond. Back to you, Jake. All right, Adrian Broaddus, thanks so much. Coming up next, what federal authorities told Congress today about prison cells infested with drugs, contraband, even rats. Hear what's being done and what's not being done to clean up conditions. Stay with us. Topping our politics lead, law licenses could be on the line for two more Georgia fake electors. Today, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports the state bar of Georgia is investigating two Republican lawyers. It's part of a separate legal avenue to hold fake electors accountable for their actions after the 2020 election. And it comes as Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis hits roadblocks in her investigation. A judge ruled that she cannot bring a case against a key fake elector, because she held a fundraiser for one of his opponents. Let's bring in Democratic Senator John Ossoff of Georgia. Senator, what's your reaction to these investigations into fake electors in your state and uh, the judge uh, for Fulton County saying the optics for Willis's campaign contributions are, quote, horrific? What do you think? Oh, it's the role of federal, state, and local prosecutors to enforce the law uh, and where they have criminal information, evidence that laws have been broken, no one is above the law. So, uh, you know, the actions of the Justice Department, the actions of local prosecutors, that's for those prosecutors to decide. The key principle in our system of government uh, is that the rule of law applies to all of us. Speaking of justice in America, uh, today you led uh, a hearing on the inhumane conditions at Atlanta's federal penitentiary. We we previewed this hearing last week with you. Let's uh, take a listen to a former jail administrator at that prison. There were so many rats inside the facility, dining hall, and food preparation areas that staff intentionally left doors open so the many stray cats that hung around the prison could catch the rats. It is never a good idea to leave prison doors open. We also heard about a lack of suicide prevention efforts, overcrowded facilities, free-flowing drugs, cell phones, contraband behind bars. Uh, You were threatening the head of federal prisons with a subpoena to testify. Uh, Tell us what happened today. Well, I have led a 10-month bipartisan investigation of corruption, abuse, and misconduct at U.S. Penitentiary, the major federal prison in Metro Atlanta. Uh, The results of that investigation, based upon review of tens of thousands of internal government documents, interviews with dozens of witnesses, including Bureau of Prisons whistleblowers, are shocking. Our investigation has revealed that for at least nine years, gross misconduct, serious negligence, life-threatening failures were ongoing at this major federal prison. We're talking about staff corruption, the virtually free flow of narcotics and weapons within and in and out of this facility. Uh, We're talking about serious human rights and civil rights abuses, pre-trial, presumptively innocent detainees, 23 hours a day in overcrowded cells packed with vermin, roaches, and rats without access to hygiene, basic health services, without effective access to counsel, 
uh, a, a pretrial detainee, for example, on suicide watch being forced to lay in a in paper clothes with a paper blanket and no access to mental health services, long-term systemic failures by the Bureau of Prisons to ensure the rule of law, orderly conduct, policies and procedures are followed and human rights are protected in our federal prisons. It's a disgrace to the U.S. government that these conditions persist in federal mm -hmm. prisons. And as for Director Carvajal, we had asked on a bipartisan basis for his voluntary testimony. The Department of Justice had declined. We issued a bipartisan subpoena to compel his testimony, ultimately reached an agreement with the Department of Justice. When he arrived this morning, that subpoena was withdrawn. So, as you know, we heard testimony about this abuse extending to pre-trial detainees, which means these are people who haven't even been uh, convicted yet. Uh, often they can't make bail, um, and they're put in these depraved conditions, sometimes without access uh, to their lawyers. There are probably viewers out there who think, you know what, these are prisoners. They probably did wrong to begin with. Why should I care about this? What do you tell them? Well, first of all, no human being, whether or not they've been convicted of a crime, should be subjected to civil rights abuses, degrading and unconstitutional treatment. And when we're talking about pre-trial presumptively innocent detainees, these are folks who have been convicted of no crime, who are awaiting trial, who need access to counsel for their Sixth Amendment right to counsel to be upheld, and they're being subjected as well to these inhumane and degrading conditions. The conditions in this facility posed a threat to health and safety, not just of inmates and staff, but also of the broader community. The Bureau of Prisons' own internal assessments found that this facility, the corruption, abuse, and misconduct were a security threat and a public safety threat to the entire southeast region of the United States. What we heard today from the director of the Bureau of Prisons is that they were, in my opinion, willfully ignorant, looking the other way, apparently unaware of what had been happening for years and years despite consistent internal reporting and information they had access to that these misconduct, these forms of corruption, these forms of abuse were happening right under their noses. So what now? Are you going to uh, take this investigation to other prisons? I mean, obviously, the problems are, as, as I don't need to tell you, the problems are far beyond this one prison in metro Atlanta. Well, I can't comment on specific new lines of inquiry that my subcommittee is undertaking. Those are confidential. But I'll just say this. One of the things that motivated me to run for office is a recognition that congressional oversight of the executive branch has withered, has become weak. There is not enough robust congressional inquiry of misconduct in the federal government. Chairing this investigation subcommittee, I will continue to pursue the truth. I will continue to pursue misconduct, abuse, and corruption within the federal government, as I said I would as a candidate, as I am now as a senator. All right, Democratic Senator John Ossoff of Georgia, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Back in the swamp, Donald Trump and Mike Pence returned to Washington. Hear how they delivered a tale of two Republican parties. That's next. In our politics lead, dueling speeches. Former President Donald Trump and former Vice President Mike Pence both spoke in Washington, D.C. today. Pence told supporters not to, quote, focus on the past, while Trump was focused on the past, slamming the January 6th committee and calling them, quote, thugs. CNN's Kristen Holmes breaks down the conflicting messages from the two former leaders of the GOP. President Donald Trump back in Washington. We had 
made America great again. We made it great again. Delivering remarks focused on law enforcement as his actions on January 6th remain under scrutiny a year and a half removed from the violent attack on the Capitol. There is no longer respect for the law and there certainly is no order. Our country is now a cesspool of crime. Speaking at a conservative think tank founded by former Trump administration officials, Trump largely stayed away from his grievances around the 2020 election. I ran for president. I won. Then I won a second time, did much better the second time. Blocks away, former Vice President Mike Pence outlining his own vision for the Republican Party at a gathering of young conservatives. Now, some people may choose to focus on the past, but elections are about the future. And I believe conservatives must focus on the future to win back America. Do you think that this After his remarks, the former vice president asked by an audience member about the divide between he and Trump. Well, I will tell you that I couldn't be uh, more proud of the record of the Trump-Pence administration. I don't know that our movement is that divided. I don't know that the president and I differ on issues, but we may differ on focus. I truly do believe that elections are about the future and that it's absolutely essential at a time when so many Americans are hurting. The dueling speeches between Pence and Trump just the latest salvo in a public split between the two GOP leaders as both men lay the groundwork for presidential runs in 2024. I'm here before you to begin to talk about what we must do to achieve that future when we win a triumphant victory in 2022, and when a Republican president takes back the White House in 2024, which I strongly believe will happen. They are engaged in a proxy battle in the Arizona primary next month after squaring off in the Georgia Republican primary for governor this spring. I think the time has come for us to offer a bold, positive agenda to bring America back. And I'll continue to carry that message all across this nation. For his part, Pence has been deliberate in seeking out opportunities to distance himself from Trump, as the House Select Committee investigating the events of January 6th sheds more light on Trump's failure to act that day and the danger Pence faced amid the attack. And while President Trump did notably spend a lot of time talking about law enforcement, praising law enforcement, he didn't mention any of the officers who were serving on Capitol Hill that day, including those who were injured or killed. However, he did take time to attack the committee, as you noted, calling them political hacks and thugs and saying that he they wanted to damage him so that he couldn't work for his supporters, Jake. All right, Kristen Holmes, thanks so much. Uh, let's discuss uh, all the events of today. And, and Paul, I, I, I do want to start with Lester Holt's interview with Attorney General Merrick Garland. Um, take a listen to what Garland told Holt when asked if he uh, is worried an indictment of Donald Trump could rip the country apart. We intend to hold everyone, anyone, who was criminally responsible for the events surrounding January 6th, for any attempt to interfere with the lawful transfer of power from one administration to another, accountable. So if Donald Trump were to become a candidate for president again, that would not change your schedule or, or how you move forward or don't move forward? Uh, say again that uh, we will hold accountable anyone who is criminally responsible for attempting to interfere with the transfer, legitimate lawful transfer of power from one administration to the next. 
the key word in there is criminally responsible, because it's obvious that Donald Trump was morally responsible for the events surrounding January 6th and the effect, and attempt to interfere with the lawful transfer of power, but criminally. And, right. and do you think Attorney General Garland, at the end of the day, will find Donald Trump criminally responsible or be willing to? This is, this is why he's a lawyer's lawyer. That answer, he said everything and nothing. <laughs> right? I, I actually, and I'm sure Lester, I, I, Lester's a very good journalist, and I think he, I probably asked this, I hope he did, I haven't seen the interview. What about the Mueller report? Okay, I understand 1-6 takes a while. It's a long investigation. They're working through it. There's a grand jury. Okay, I respect that. The Mueller report came out three years and three months ago. Right. Mr. Mueller notes 10 different instances where Donald Trump may have committed obstruction of justice. There's no new information. There's no new investigation. He's been sitting on that since the day he walked in the door. And Mueller testified that Donald Trump, once he left office, could be found Absolutely. He, Donald Trump is no longer yeah. president. It's been yeah. in all the papers. Attorney General Garland knows that. Yeah. And I, I actually want to know if he's not if Trump is innocent, the Justice Department should say that they should. And if he's not, they should prosecute him. Congressman, I want to get your reaction to something that we just got. The January 6th committee just released testimony from former acting secretary of defense, Chris Miller, where they asked him about then chief of staff Mark Meadows statements that Trump had ordered 10,000 troops to be ready before January 6th. Take a listen to part of Secretary Miller's answer. And to be, to be crystal clear, there was no direct order from President Trump to put 10,000 troops to be on the ready for January 6th, correct? No. Yeah, you're, that's correct. There was no direct, there was no order from the president. No order from the president. We should know, no, Mark Meadows said something different, but he said it not under oath on Fox. Secretary Miller was under oath. Well, I think it's just further evidence of the fact that the former president chose to do nothing. On January the 6th, uh, he, in fact, and that's what this whole hearing is about. These hearings are about is to determine what level of culpability he has had. Uh, and what we've learned, this is a conspiracy. This, this wasn't some one-off event or random event. There may have been people who were swept up, up in it on that day. But I think this is just further proof of that, that he just did nothing to, uh, uh, to, to prevent this or stop this. It was a complete dereliction of duty. And that's, that's the harsh reality. And I've heard Democrats criticize what President Biden said. Biden is accusing Trump now of not having enough courage to stop what happened on January 6th. But I've heard Democrats say, not have enough courage. It was the plan. It was the plan to get the mob to go there. Yeah, well, I think that that's really what we've learned from the January 6th committee. We, we sort of knew it before they laid it all out for us in detail. But now that we know that he was aware that that mob was armed and that he said to people around him that they were not there to hurt him, right? He knew he would be safe in this armed mob. He sends them down to the Capitol anyway, and then the last hearing demonstrated that he sat and watched television until it was clear that other people had taken care of the mess. The FBI was on the, on the case, and his people were being cleared out of the Capitol. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not it, the way that the president framed it wasn't, wasn't quite right. And we heard, uh, Nia, the, the, we heard Kristen Holmes talking about these dueling speeches in D.C. today. Uh, where basically Vice President Pence says, I agree with Trump on everything mm-hmm. except on the fact that he wants to keep talking about the election. And his book, Pence has a book coming out this fall uh, in which the, the publisher's notes describe the break that they had and Pence standing up for the Constitution. And yet, and yet, a new CNN poll shows Republicans, when asked uh, who, who to put up for president in 2020, 44% of Republicans say Trump, 55% say someone else. That's right. I mean, Trump is the clear front runner for the nomination in 2024, should he seek it. And by all 
uh, accounts is just a matter of timing when he actually announces that he wants to run for president uh, again. We saw in 2016 he didn't need you know the vast majority of people. He just needed uh, to, to win by a little in any of these states uh, because it's a winner-take-all system. So if people uh, join the race and run against Trump, uh, it's very likely that he could, uh, could, could win again. Ideological heart and soul, the Republican Party is with Donald Trump. Nothing has shaken their, uh, you know, their faith in him, the, the sense that he represents who they are. He would run essentially saying, listen, in 2020, you got your birthright stolen, right? Your country was stolen from you. And I, Donald Trump, am here to redeem that and to restore your future. That is a very, I think, powerful argument for lots of Republicans uh, who likely would pull the lever for Donald Trump again in the primaries. And, and uh, Congressman, uh, take a listen. CNN's Donio Sullivan went to a Trump rally in Arizona, and he spoke to supporters outside about the January 6th hearings. I want you to listen uh, to what these Trump supporters uh, had to say. Have you guys been watching the January 6th hearings at all? No. No? No, we saw it when it all went down, and then we saw like a lot of the BLM and the Antifa people in the building as well, and, and, and it's, just, it's just nonsense. But all. I think like 800 people now have been charged, right? Yeah. None of them are Black Lives Matter or Antifa. Yeah, that They're doesn't not mean anything. Them. That doesn't Correctly. mean anything. They have not been country. brought into court and for their due process because they have not been arrested. Hunter Biden hasn't been arrested. Do you have both sides, or are you getting one side of the story? You mean like the side that attacked the Capitol? You really believe that happened? Look, they're living in an alternative reality. It's that simple. I mean, the only thing missing here is the tinfoil hat and the black helicopter. Uh, you know, people believe what they want to believe. They get information from these dubious sources, and they listen to the former president, and they they believe what they're they're hearing. And that's that's really the tragedy in this country right now, that people can't agree on facts. That's yeah, I mean, these dubious sources. I mean, these dubious sources or are Donald Trump, the Republic, yeah. Donald Trump, yeah. the Republican leader of the House, Fox, OANN. I mean, it's it's not just like but, you know, world, but I, but low I frequency AM radio yeah, yeah, anymore. But I mean, they were talking about Antifa. I think that most people, I, I haven't heard many Republican leaders say it's Antifa anymore. I mean, it might be a few. Well, they, they said that initially, there, there, yeah. right? In the days that after, there were Republicans saying that. I mean, Kevin McCarthy changed his tune around that in the wake yeah. um, of the riots, but. Can I just say big picture, Jake? I don't think, um, with all due respect to Doni, that the people that he talked to are the audience for the January 6th hearings. I think that there's knowledge that those people are, are gone, right? Those people, people that attend his rallies, his hardcore supporters, they are always going to believe in Donald Trump. Whatever he and his allies in the conservative media tell them, they're going to believe it. The question is, what about Republicans who are, who were reluctant voters for Donald Trump uh, because they didn't feel like they could vote for Joe Biden? What about the sliver of independent voters? Those people that actually voted for Republican congressional candidates in 2020 and also voted for Joe Biden or didn't vote for president at all, right? There were more people that voted for Republicans than there were for Democrats. The more people the Jan- like that, that the January 6th committee can reach, the more impact they're going to have. Because, you know, the way our system works, these margins are so tight that, that our, our elections really are in swing states so, so, so close that they don't actually have to move the needle that much to make a difference. I actually think Liz Cheney is trying to reach both of those people, right? Both of the audiences you're talking about, the the, who, the people who... Uh, Maybe trying to. Don't I think she knows she can't And she's literally people. talking to them, saying, you know, they you were misled. Not, you were yeah, misled. Right. You've been lied to. Yeah. Uh, they are taking your patriotism uh, for granted. We'll see what happens in terms of uh, them changing their minds, but it probably will be difficult. Well, Donnie's proving 
that Abraham Lincoln was right, the first Republican president, you really can fool some of the people all of the time. <laughs> and, and that's not on them. That's on, as you say, and you guys are saying, that's, that's on the people who are lying to them. I really do view those people in South Dakota Donia interviewed as victims, not villains, because a great many of the Republicans in, in the Senate, in the House, in governor's offices, running for other offices, they know better, and they're lying. Those folks don't know any better because they actually they commit the sin of trusting people who lead them. And I don't think that's a horrible thing. I, mean, I think all, the people who are lying to them are doing a horrible thing. All I'm trying to say is that if the committee doesn't reach the people that attend Trump rallies, they haven't necessarily failed. Right. right. To that's right. Yeah, I think that's, sure. Yeah. It's the bottom line. Sure. Thanks to one and all. Appreciate it. Houston, do we have a problem? The one place the U.S. and Russia were getting along soon to be lost in space with a big announcement today from the Kremlin. In our out-of-this-world lead today, Russia says it will leave the International Space Station after 2024 and begin building its own station. Russia's withdrawal signals the end of a decades-long partnership with NASA at the International Space Station. The news comes amid high tensions between the West and Russia over Russia's war against Ukraine. Let's bring in CNN's Kristen Fisher. And Kristen, this is not the first time Russia has said it would leave the ISS. How significant is this, do you think? Well, Jake, in the past, these threats to pull out of the International Space Station often came from the Twitter account of the newly ousted head of Russia's space agency, Roscosmos, so not the most official channel. Today's announcement, very different, because it was made on the Kremlin's official website by the new head of Roscosmos, a man by the name of Yuri Borisov, who was given the job just a few days ago by Putin himself. So this announcement, today's announcement, carries much more weight. With that said, though, NASA says that it still has not been formally notified about this decision, something that is required of all the partners up at the International Space Station. So, Jake, it really remains to be seen if this time Russia is serious. But regardless, today's announcement certainly caught the NASA astronauts up at the International Space Station right now by surprise. All right, Kristen Fisher, thank you so much. Uh, that is very recent news, and so we haven't heard anything officially. Um, of course, you know, we were trained uh, to do a mission up here, uh, and, and that mission is one that uh, requires uh, the whole crew. And uh, so we continue to work every day to conduct the science and research um, that, that we've been trained to conduct. So the work continues, and the State Department says that it, too, was surprised by today's announcement. But, Jake, regardless of whether or not Russia is serious. Uh, The White House is now saying that NASA is actively preparing uh, contingency plans and planning for a future on the International Space Station without Russia. They want to keep the space station going until 2030, if at all possible. That, of course, would be uh, very difficult if Russia does indeed decide to pull out by 2024, Jake. All right, Kristen Fisher, thank you so much. Appreciate it. All the greatest things in life are free. Who needs money? Not me. Well, perhaps the king himself didn't need the money, but his famous home and tourist attraction, Graceland, in Memphis, well, they sure might like some. A set of complicated Tennessee state-issued bonds, which are tied to tourist revenue, have gone into default. The bonds were offered five years ago. Their proceeds were used to fund a massive expansion at Graceland. But the pandemic shook, rattled, and rolled revenue at the site, and now 20% of those tourism bonds are in junk status. However, the financial challenges might prove temporary. Attendance has been 
boosted by the new film Elvis out in theaters, and the city will celebrate Elvis Week next month. You could say the public just can't help falling in love with Graceland. Coming up, Attorney General Merrick Garland on the record. His comments today that do not shut down the question of potential charges against Donald Trump or anyone who worked in his White House. Stay with us. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 